the Cardinals fall 20-17 to to the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles Sunday and have a 2-3 and record to start the season. Plenty to talk about on this Monday morning about Sunday's loss, and that's exactly what we're going to do here on Morning Scramble, presented by Verizon alongside Craig Grelu and Jody Jackson. I'm Danny Sarek. Looked like one of the more complete games for the Cardinals. On offense, moving the chains, putting points on the board. Defensively, holding the Eagles to a season low in total yards. And special teams pulling off a fake punt for a first down. However, it all comes down with 22 seconds left to go in the game. The opportunity for a game-tying field goal, which hangs right. However, Craig, Jody, you win a game and you lose a game more than just on one play. So let's go ahead and we're going to kick off the main dish, overall reactions to this team, their performance. Craig, what did you make of Sunday's loss? Overall disappointing because you want to get a win and you haven't been able to win at State Farm Stadium in a very long time. Yes, things looked better at times, but you have to be able to do it for four complete quarters and this team has not been able to do that at all. The bright spot in all of this, yes, it's five games The rest of the division does not look all that great. The rest of the NFC does not look all that great. The Rams and Bengals, both Super Bowl participants a year ago, they had the same record as the Arizona Cardinals. That's about as only positive I'm going to get out of that. A little bit of sunshine here. A little sunshine, a little bit. And you're right. I mean, you're right. And the Rams look like they have some major problems. And that, though, is also a lot was going through my mind as the kick sailed right yesterday. One of them was, you know, what a great opportunity to be the big headline this week, beating the Eagles, the only undefeated team in the NFL. All the good things that happened in the game, unfortunately, faded in that moment. And, of course, it was to tie the game. You never know what's going to happen there. You just wanted to get it to overtime at that point. But, you know, the other thing is, you know, the Rams, it brought me back to here. Because, again, I I think, what am I now, 0 for 3 here in the studio? (laughs) You are, Jody. Danny was reminding me, you know. There was hope in the press box when the Cardinals (laughs) tied the game that Jody was going to get a morning scramble after a win. However, not the case. Yeah, so I wanted that. And, you know, again, the Rams game, having, you know, sat here and, and, chopping it up with you guys after that you know that was a winnable game too so that one hurts too you know and then okay everyone you know other people okay the Raiders game I I know I know it all it all evens out but you're right Craig there are some holes in the division some holes in the NFC that you know the Cardinals could possibly exploit here it is still early but yeah I mean the Philly writers some of the things I was reading this morning you know it was a kind of built up Probably on their end, having a kicker that hadn't kicked in the NFL at all, you know, a battle of kickers. But there was a big difference. Um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his first name now, but they're calling him Dicker the Kicker. Cameron right? Dicker. So Cameron Dicker, who, uh, you know, played in some big games in college, you know, made his 23-yarder. And Matt Amendola didn't make the 43-yarder, which, you know, his track record on the longer kicks was not good coming into the game. And so for me, it was about that final 145. And, okay, the easy thing here is he makes the kick. Secondly, um, Zach Ertz and, and uh, Kyler Murray had the chance to connect with Zach Ertz on that deep play, and, and Murray just missed it, and then getting that extra yard. So there are all these things that, if those things would have happened, we're talking about potentially something different, or at least a made field goal at that point. Um, but those things didn't happen. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about what could have been done differently. And I'm sure Kyler Murray, that was probably a big reason, Danny, why he was in his uniform coming out to the podium, because. He wishes he had connected with Zach Ertz on that play because that was the, the one deep uh, play in that sequence. And then I'm sure, like as he said after the game, wishes he had gotten more yards on that um, on that slide, not you know slid quite so soon. 
in the locker room, Kyler Murray was sitting at his locker with his head down, still in his uniform. It took almost an hour for him to come out to the podium. And when it was asked to him what was going on for that time, he just said that he was taking a long time to process the game yeah. and to process the loss. And that first question asking about the loss, he almost seemed like he was choking up, that it was hard for him to contain his emotions of that game being so winnable and being so close and not being able to pull it off. Little things are keeping this team out of the win column. It has not looked good at all offensively this entire season. From week one to week five, there have been bright spots, some flash moments, but overall, this offense cannot consistently move the ball up and down the field for entire four quarters, and that's concerning when you have a lot of talent on that offensive side, and DeAndre Hopkins is not here. That's not an excuse. Nine straight games in the regular season. Ten if you count the postseason. This team has three wins without number ten. I'm sorry, he is not the answer to this offensive problems or struggles. He is not the answer. You have to be able to figure it out without DeAndre Hopkins. One player, and I said it last season, Danny, one player does not, cannot make that much of a difference. Because if it is, then you're paying the wrong player. I feel the same way, I think, when you look at the defense with J.J. Watt. I think the two are very similar when you're looking at that as the difference of when you have DeAndre Hopkins on the field for the offense. It's the same as having J.J. Watt on the field for the defense. The team struggles when they're not on the field. And, of course, you want to have those players, those impact players who are also leaders. However, I completely agree with you. I don't think if you had DeAndre Hopkins and you just plopped him into this offense that it would fix all the problems. Would it make life easier for Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray? No question about it. But I think that there are too many struggles offensively that if you just plug and play and you plop DeAndre Hopkins in right now, I'm not sure that this would look entirely different. Now, they have two more, one more game, Seattle, uh, one more game next week before Hopkins can come back. So hopefully they will correct some of those mistakes. My main dish, the big word is potential, which I don't love that it's now been five games and having to talk about potential, but I feel like we have seen the potential of what this team could look like if they play a full game of complimentary football. We saw in Carolina when the Cardinals started to take advantage of the opportunities of the defense turning the ball over and scoring on offense. We got a little bit taste of it this week um, against the Eagles of the defense having a strong performance. They shut out wide receiver A.J. Brown held to just 32 yards, running back Miles Sanders held to just 58. They put the pressure on quarterback Jalen Hurts, and they put it on him early. And that was a main goal of this defense, was keeping him in the pocket and forcing him to use his legs. And I thought the defense had another great performance. Safety Jalen Thompson had that very close interception, which was called an incomplete pass and marked as a PBU, but backpedaling, twisted his body to use both hands on the catch. Again, this defense has looked very good. Byron Murphy on the blitz with that sack. Vance Joseph has done a great job utilizing his weapons. Doesn't feel the same way when you look on offense. And that's the problem. That's where the word potential is coming in. The defense is performing. The offense is not. Uh, This offense, again, once they got that first down, they got rolling. But it's still a struggle if they're not getting that first down early on. They can't seem to focus. I don't know if it's a focus issue. I don't know if it's a play calling issue, if it's strictly execution. But it feels like the weapons on this offense are not properly being utilized and yet again still can't score in the first quarter. And that's a problem. No points in the first quarter. They are not scoring in the first half. The 10 points that they scored, just not. You cannot consistently play from behind. And that's what this team is doing right now in these first five weeks is you're playing from behind. And 
they have the talent to be able to do it, but they haven't shown it. So until they show it, you just you, you, you can't believe that they're going to do it. Too many things have to go right for this offense to be successful, whether it's a tackle for loss, a penalty in which a second and three becomes a second and eight, or a first and ten becomes a first and fifteen. If those little things happen, then it completely derails all right off the tracks this offense, and that and that's this and that's concerning. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show, but um, I think too, you know, we're kind of combining with the way this game played out, the the chaos at the end, and then also, but hey, why should it come down to that? Got to start earlier, and the other thing is Kyler Murray. It's always kind of the in case of emergency break glass run game with Kyler, I feel like when when you absolutely have to set him loose and roll him out there running the ball, it does energize this offense. And so I think the other thing, and, and I know we've all talked about it, is seeing those designed runs early in the game. Maybe, you know, not a ton, but, you know, making it more of the game plan. That seems to be when the true sense of urgency comes out on this team, but not really before that. Let's move into our Rise and Shined player of the game. Craig, you had a little bit of positivity early on in the show, so we're going to stick with a little positivity now. I think it's quite clear which side of the ball performed better. So, Craig, I'll let you take it away. Your Rise and Shined. I couldn't do one particular player. Yes, and you know how I feel about that. You lose a game, you lose as a team. So it's hard to single out one particular player for me anyway. And I'm only speaking for myself, Danny. So I'm looking big picture at the defense and what they accomplished on Sunday and what they've continually accomplished this entire season. But you look at Isaiah Simmons, percentage-wise, played the most snaps of the season. He led the team with a game-high 13 tackles. Byron Murphy, nine tackles, three tackles for loss, half a sack, pass defense. Zach Allen, who's played phenomenal this season, eight tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, pass defense. Overall, the one negative defensively, first game this team did not get a takeaway. Close twice, but didn't get a takeaway. But two sacks, six quarterback hits, six tackles for loss, and four passes defense. And you held an Eagles team to nine points below their season average, and for the first time all season, under 400 yards of total offense. They did their job. The offense did not do its job. Yeah. I'm, going, I'm going defense as well. And I'm okay with the rise and shine player. You know, if, you, if it's a competitive game, you had some guys step up and do some things, I'm okay with picking someone. I'm going to go Zach Allen because he's been so consistent. I know this is about this game only, but I love what I'm seeing from him, the way he's emerging. I think you said it, eight tackles. Um, he's getting his, you know, he's, he's definitely harassing quarterbacks this year, and you love to see that. Now, they did flush Jalen Hurts out of the pocket quite a bit. Unfortunately, he made plays outside of the pocket that was part of the problem early on but you know there was there's been a stat floating around the last couple of weeks and you guys probably know exactly where it came from I think it was ESPN and it's like pass rush rate or something win like rate yeah win rate and it, it when you see these games you're not seeing the sacks but you are seeing that pass rush you know and yet I think it'll come and you know we did see you know JJ Watt we had you know they're close a lot, and that does create havoc. There is a value to that. I love that, and I love that this defense, which came in kind of with a chip on their shoulder and a lot of people wondering what are they going to do without Chandler Jones and, you know, um, early on J.J. Watt was nicked up, and I love that they're 
being able to do that and create some chaos against um, these other teams. I know the Eagles O-line was a little bit banged up, but you know what? That's life in the NFL, and you know they took advantage of that a little bit. But Zach Allen, love what he is doing right now. Um, I want to, and I know, Danny, you're going to hit on a couple of other players um, on offense, but you know, running the ball was something that we saw this team do yesterday pretty effectively when they did go north-south inside um, especially on the inside runs. And James Conner, before getting hurt, I thought was doing some good things. I was glad to see that, unfortunately, um, and love what Eno did as well. And I know, Danny, you're going to get into that a little bit more, but uh, I think the run game definitely took a little bit of a step yesterday. Um, and uh, James Conner, hopefully he's all right. We're going to know more. I know they were looking at his ribs, and you know, hopefully they were down to one, and so they definitely are going to need some help in that area. Um, for the running backs, but James Conner early, his first half, and Zach Allen yesterday. Yeah, I think, too, having the running game helps when you're not playing from behind as, mm-hmm. as much as the Cardinals have been early on in the season. My rise and shine player of the game, I am going to look at the offense, and I'm going with running back Eno Benjamin. He's now in year three, and throughout the offseason, we heard that the biggest leap he had been taking, according to the coaching staff, was the mental side of the ball and that maturity and being able to handle the responsibilities out on the field. And that is what we saw from Benjamin. The other three running backs, Jonathan Ward, left with a hamstring injury. James Conner left with a ribs injury. And Daryl Williams with a knee. So not only did Eno Benjamin step up as the number one running back, he stepped up as the only running back on the roster. He had three runs for a first down, including a 16-yard run on a screen before his 11-yard rushing touchdown, which tied the game. Benjamin looked tough. He held on to the ball. He found first downs, and he found the end zone. And that's all you can ask for out of a running back. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury even mentioned that Benjamin was dealing with cramps the entire second half because he was the only running back. So to look as strong and as consistent as he did and carry that load was very impressed with the game that you know Benjamin had. He also picked up a key blitz on that final drive to allow Kyler Murray a little extra time to complete a pass. And that's another area that the coaches have kind of preached we need you to be better at. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen now here the development of Eno Benjamin from not playing at all, not even being active year one, to now potentially this week being RB1 going up against the Seattle Seahawks. It is going to be a question of the significance of these injuries because the other running back right now is rookie Keonta Ingram, who's been in that same situation so far like Eno was his rookie year. Ingram has not been active at all. Um, However, the fact that they kept him on the active roster shows that this coaching staff clearly likes the potential that they see in Ingram. So it will be interesting to see later on in the week when we get a better idea of the significance of these injuries in the running back's room and what moves the Cardinals might have to make. I'm so excited for our hot cake takes segment because when we were having our production meeting after the game, uh, the two of you were kind of already getting started. And I had to tell you, hold on, pump the brakes. Let's save this for morning scramble. Jody, I will let you start with your hot cake take from Sunday's game. Well, I mean, this is the type of game. This was a great football game. Okay. And so that breeds a lot of passion um, when you think about the way that it came down to the end of the game and the Cardinals. Got off to a horrible start once again on offense. Couldn't get anything going, even defensively. You know, A.J. Brown was making uh, his three catches seemingly all in a row early in the game in the first quarter, and they turned that around. This defense stiffened. Um, You know, the only thing that you would have liked to see is the way Philadelphia really exerted themselves to kill the clock on that final drive where they, you know, they didn't score, but they uh, they didn't score a touchdown. They did get the field goal. But, you know, of course, you'd like to see – 
um, less time off the clock there. But look, it did come down to uh, the final 145, and plays were not made. Okay, the the play to Zach Ertz, you look at that, you say, got to make that. Um, get closer, get that extra yard, put the field goal kicker, Matt Amendola, who was two for eight coming in on 40 yards or more when you talk about field goals. You know, meanwhile, on the shorter kicks, he I believe it was 15 of 16 in his career. I had looked it up earlier this morning. So, like, shorter kicks are much more manageable. He made it a, a short kick earlier in the game. You had to have some urgency there. So, I'm going to go twofold here on my my hot cakes. And, and after I let the end of the game go, kind of go back to the beginning of the game. But at the end of the game, the only thing that I did see, and I understand the, the beauty of going short with screen passes, drawing that defense in, hit him with Kyler running the ball. And that's fine. But, you know, to me, it was – and it's not about going for it on fourth down, but it's maybe looking for deeper plays um, than some of the short passes that we saw. We saw one to Hollywood Brown. We saw one to Eno, I believe. And that element of the game, I know you said earlier, Craig, the answer is not DeAndre Hopkins, but it really is. Now, I know that we, they don't want to wait for that. They, they can't wait. There's another game next week. And, you know, you can't, God forbid, something would happen to DeAndre later in the season. You can't rely on one guy. We saw that last year as well. So you're right. You're right. But the, I do believe that the answer is DeAndre Hopkins in many ways, just like the answer is going to be Matt Prater being healthy, hopefully, at some point, too. So you, your personnel does factor in. So, you know, the end of the game, they just, they, you know, Kyler in, in particular had to execute at a higher level on both the miss pass to Ertz and, and the run. Um, now, that said, yes, that happened. Going back to the beginning of the game, and this is what I, how I want to end, you know, my, my hot cakes takes. Is that right, Dan? Yes. Okay. You go back to the beginning of the game, and Cliff was asked about it, as he is after every game. We've already talked about how they've gone through this really long stretch of being ineffective at the start. And he described it as kind of a feeling-out period and said that there's no time for that anymore. And that's what I see. I don't know about you guys. You know, That's what I see is a little bit of a tentative, a feeling out of the defense or a feeling out of their own personnel. And I asked Zach Ertz about it after the game as well, and, and I mentioned that that was what Cliff had described it as. And, and he kind of almost seemed to take offense to it, that, no, I'm ready from snap number one. I've done all the prep. I'm not waiting to see what the defense is doing. I know I'm ready to go. And, you know, that's encouraging. You know, certainly I, I guess I was looking for some insight on, are you noticing anything in the huddle? Is there anything going on the sideline? What's the mood in the beginning of the game? But, you know, obviously everyone in that locker room, especially you know, on offense is what we're talking about here, to me has to take it upon themselves to have that same attitude as Zach Ertz because I didn't mean to offend you, Zach. I really didn't. I wasn't calling you out for not being prepared, but the feeling out period that Cliff Kingsbury himself described has got to change. And I would love to see it change this week at Seattle, a place where the Cardinals have enjoyed playing over the years. So hopefully it happens, and hopefully they have that urgency to come out and dictate play. There are enough playmakers here right now, Danny, and they just have to make it happen. Completely agree. Craig, your hot cake take, I know you felt differently about the Cardinals going for that field goal as opposed to maybe trying to do a different play at the end of the game. It's just it's what happened on Cardinal Talk is people like to assess blame. General manager, head coach, quarterback, whomever. So what happened, why it happened, whose fault is it for the way that game ended? One, to Jody's point, should never come down to an end like that to leave it in the hands of a kicker, especially an inexperienced kicker that you signed off the street. Get off to a better start, and you're not in that situation. Two things needed to happen 
or one to two things needed to happen at the end of that game. One, when Kyler Murray on second and 10 decides to run, you need to be aware of where that first down marker is. Listening to him post game, he's well aware of the slide rule. Once you start to slide, that's where you're down. You've given yourself up. So you need to know where that first down marker is and start your slide after. You have to know for an immediate fact that you got that first down. So all right, there's one. Two, he didn't get it. All right. Now he's hearing in his helmet, clock, clock. To think that Kyler Murray now, after that slide, looking up at the scoreboard and seeing first down, no, no. He's concentrating on getting, making sure that ball is spotted so they spike the football. What he's hearing is the coaching staff saying clock, clock, clock. Now the error is on the coaching staff. Take that extra split second, two seconds if you will. You've got 23 seconds left. Clock is moving. To pay attention, not to the scoreboard. Did the chains move? What is the down marker signal? And it signaled third down. The chains had not moved. Too much of a rush, and I get it, in the moment. Easier for us to speak about it the day after or immediately on postgame. Spiked the ball on third down, so now you have to kick a field goal. Was there enough time on third and one to run a play? Well, that's hindsight because already in his helmet, Kyler's hearing clock. So you're not going to run another play. Could you have run a play, though? That's the question that Cliff was asked. And I understand if you're running it, you probably don't have enough time to clock it. And then he called it the hurricane where the field goal unit just scrambles out onto the field. Did you have enough time to run a quick pass to the sideline to get out of bounds? Maybe it's something that you'll work on this week or moving forward. I think it was a great learning lesson how to handle a late-game situation with no timeouts. You had plenty of time. Minute 45 is an eternity, even without timeouts. It's unfortunate you lost one with Jalen Thompson getting hurt. But to assess blame to one particular person in that end, it's not fair because there was blame to go around. And it's just unfortunate that People remember the end. You have to remember everything, specifically how this game started. You have not scored a point in the first quarter. You're getting outscored 38 to nothing. You are minus 54 in the first half of games. Left guard Justin Pugh postgame the locker room felt the same way, that it doesn't just come down to one play and one person. When the media was waiting around and talking to the new kicker, Matt Amendola, after the game at his locker, Pugh came, whose locker is very close to Amendola's, and basically just stood up for him and said that this did not just come down to him. This was an entire team. This did not just come down to one play. I think he had a great game, just really hyping him up and and reminding him that it's not just all on him. So Justin Pugh felt the same way that you're talking about, Craig, of everyone tries to look to assess blame. And I'm not saying the media shouldn't talk to the kicker. I think after a game like that, the first chance you get to talk to a new kicker, even if he had a great game, even if he made that field goal to tie the game and go to overtime, the media still would have wanted to talk to him. The point being that Pew felt the same way of this team doesn't feel like it's all that blame on the kicker and on that one play. It came down to much more than that. Zach Ertz even talked about it in his postgame press conference that this team typically does very well in practice on those two-minute drills. And now it's about finding ways to execute them on the field. However, you don't want to keep finding yourself in a situation where that's where you are. You are having to come back in the final two minutes to tie the game and go to overtime. That's not sustainable. Let's move into our final segment, Bring Home the Bacon. Craig, you've been positive. 
Now you got to bring us back down with some stats I know that you found and you have been waiting to share. I am sorry in advance, Cardinals fans, for what Craig is about to share. It's a challenge to the offense overall, specifically the passing game and challenging the head coach, the quarterback, the pass catchers to get this offense more vertical as opposed to horizontal. To your point, Jody, Mm -hmm. the deep shots. Right now, this passing offense is averaging five-point yards per play. That's dead last in the National Football League. Kyler Murray ranks 31st in yards per pass attempt, 30th in average pass length, 31st in average pass length completion. His overall completion percentage is the worst since his rookie season four years ago. So the challenge this week is on the offense. Forget who the opponent is, where the game is. But this passing game has got to figure out a way to move the chains and get into the end zone. Because five games, you're asking too much of your defense to win your ball games. They've held an opponent under 20 or less points in the last three games. That's they've won one. They've won one of those three games. Those numbers are shocking. I mean, they are shocking numbers when you think about what Kyler Murray is capable of. I know, you know, again with DeAndre Hopkins in the lineup, a lot of those numbers that came last season, you know, the 300-yard games. I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I think that it is going more vertical. Obviously, Rondell Moore. What is encouraging is that. Cliff mentioned with Rondell Moore, why was it so horizontal earlier and then later he was more comfortable. But, you know, there is something to that. Hopefully he is out his, I hate to use this term again, feeling out period. You know, there is that in football, though, especially when you've got some rust coming off an injury. That's a positive. But you're right, Craig. Those numbers are really shocking because at times when this team has struggled, the one thing you could rely on was a big play from Kyler. And we saw him doing that much more last year. And, and it's odd because Hollywood Brown has been fantastic, um, you know, and he's that one option. But what else can you do? Who else can you throw it to? And I know Wesley was part of that last year, Christian Kirk. I mean, to me, some of that has been missing, and it's not all DeAndre Hopkins. But to go off of that, as, as great as Anton Wesley has been at times, I don't think even if he weren't hurt and he were out here, he would be that end-all, be-all answer to not having DeAndre Hopkins. Sure, he has that height, but the skill set is still very different. That's why you have A.J. Green. That's why you brought back a tall veteran to make those contested catches. That hasn't been there. Christian Kirk walked away in free agency, signed in Jacksonville, but you had trust in Rondell Moore to use him in the slot and use him vertically. You brought in Hollywood Brown to be that number one receiver with DeAndre Hopkins' six-game suspension, and to have him, I still think he's going to be not even just a number two receiver, more of a 1A, because I think when Hopkins comes back, I don't think teams are going to have to are going to be allowed, rather, to double-team Hopkins because it's quite clear that Kyler Murray trusts Hollywood Brown, and that is his go-to player on those deep balls. And I think that is going to um, force defenses to not just look at DeAndre Hopkins. My point being is that there are still plenty of weapons. Yeah. That, that not having DeAndre Hopkins is not an excuse at this point. Again, it's something you touched on, Craig, that this offense dealt with last year. Not having Christian Kirk, not having Antoine Wesley, not having DeAndre Hopkins – They found the depth that they felt would be good enough in those absences, and it just hasn't been. Again, is that execution? Is that play calling? I think it's something that this team has to figure out. However, playing from behind, 
definitely doesn't help. Uh, my bring home the bacon, I'm sorry, I know you touched on it. Jody, you are 0-3 on Morning Scramble. <laughs> so not only do the Cardinals have to be better, you have to be better, and okay. I'm going to put you on blast for that. Challenge I don't know, accepted. I don't know I what you need to do. I will put in a little more work this week. <laughs> a little more focus. I'm not taking the Chiefs. I told you yesterday in the press box, I'm not sure I'm going to take that Chiefs loss and hang it on me there because that was – That's still up for discussion. <laughs> However, you got to turn things around. But the All good right. news for you is that the Cardinals hit the road next week to go to Seattle a place that they're very comfortable playing. And the Cardinals, they do well on the road. Um, so the fact that the the Seahawks are also 2-3 and three, allows the Cardinals to get this third win, go 500 before you get Hopkins back for the Thursday night game against the Saints at State Farm Stadium. And you got to try and get that next home win because it's been almost a full calendar year at this point since the Cardinals have won at home. However, they will hit the road, hopefully get that third win against division rival the Seattle Seahawks next week. As always, next Monday, we will be right here on Morning Scramble breaking down the game. Hopefully, Jody will have a win under her belt. For Jody Jackson and Craig Grelu, I'm Danny Stark. Thanks so much for joining us here on Morning Scramble.